I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. As technology keeps evolving, we are surrounded by more devices. These devices can be connected to other devices, forming the Internet of Things. Maria Gorlatova, assistant professor at Duke University, explains what the Internet of Things consists of. Maria also talked about what edge computing is and how we can bring intelligence from the cloud to devices that are installed close to the users. We discuss the architecture components for edge computing and how it can be used for machine learning. This episode originally appeared on Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank Blind for being a sponsor. Navigating the workplace can be a challenge. Blind is an anonymous app for tech workers where they can discuss and talk about career development, compensation, corporate policies, workplace harassment, and more. Go to teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. That's teamblind.com. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about edge computing and also IoT. So I want to begin first with IoT. We did an episode, episode 312, about the Internet of Things. But for those that didn't hear that episode, can you give a quick overview of what IoT is? Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, IoT, the Internet of Things, um, has been... Um, said to be the next big thing for quite some time. So this is the idea of uh, connecting everyday objects around us. Imagine if everything that, that you own and everything in your household could communicate and network and had some intelligence built into it. So your spaces would be smart, your your factories, uh, smart cities, that all forms the part of this vision of a fully connected world. And uh, there, are, there are also very interesting technical challenges towards making this happen. Uh, so how do you actually connect all of, all of those billions of nodes? Uh, how you do it in an energy efficient way so that you can connect mobile devices? How you do it the right way in terms of uh, preserving security and privacy of the different users? So there are tremendous opportunities and it's a very interesting field, but there are lots of uh, technical challenges to be solved. Mm-hmm. You mentioned nodes and energy efficiencies, and I know IoT at this point is everywhere. Can you give some examples of where IoT is, like what kind of device and what is it doing? Yeah, definitely. So you can think of uh, all the fitness trackers, for example, as uh, IoT objects. So these are small, uh, so for things like Fitbit, for example, that you put on your hand and that track your uh, your activities. That, that's that's one example. That uh, And this gives you a different level of understanding of your behavior than you could get uh, with uh, manual recording, for example. Uh, other uh, smart toys... Uh, uh, a smart factory is uh, all the different uh, connected equipment there. That's all uh, Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, the main focus of this show is going to be edge computing, which is very related to IoT, the Internet of Things. Can you explain what edge computing is? 
Yeah, definitely. So edge computing is the idea of uh, bringing intelligence from uh, from the cloud to devices that are around you. So, for example, to smart computing gateways or to computers that are specifically installed close to the users for advanced processing and advanced uh, data storage. Currently, a lot of uh, functionality for um, even for things like smart assistants, for example, uh, all of the data that is collected is actually sent to the cloud for processing for all the different IoT nodes. That is the case. Uh, and um, that, that has some limitations. So uh, edge computing is about taking some functionality closer to the users while keeping some other advanced computing functionality on the cloud and having endpoint devices and the cloud work together to do data processing and responsive and uh, storage and control in the best possible way, taking advantage of the latency and data locality uh, uh, close to the users while taking advantage of this uh, massive computing power that, that the cloud has. So what you mentioned is bringing some of the intelligence from the cloud to the smart devices. We talked about Fitbit earlier. So in a sense, it would be enable that Fitbit to do some computing in the Fitbit, right? Just to imagine this. Uh, so if you talk about uh, Fitbit, for example, that would be more having your smartphone do additional processing for for your Fitbit. Rather than sending a lot of, lots of data to the cloud, have uh, uh, some of the processing, uh, advanced processing, be done on a smartphone or on a local gateway. Yes, that that's true because now the Fitbit connects to the phone. But if the Fitbit itself was just on its own, I guess it would, yeah. Yeah, so you could, uh, basically in the Internet of Things uh, these days, the architecture more or less standardizes on uh, having those uh, types of gateways that can help your end devices. So typical Internet of Things architecture these days is uh, what's called three-tier architecture, low-end nodes, uh, gateways that are plugged in or that are otherwise more capable, and then the cloud. So in, in this case, uh, your uh, uh, smartphone is the is the edge, uh, edge device, or in in terms of in a smart home type of architecture where you have, uh, for example, connected light bulbs and connected uh, uh, connected doorbells and connected fridges and all all of that, there are uh, smart gateways that can be made uh, more intelligent. Uh, so, for example, Samsung uh, smart uh, gateways and uh, all others mm-hmm. for existing devices. What is some of that cloud functionality that can be moved to them? Currently, basically, uh, pretty much every responsive uh, functionality that is fairly advanced, it's all uh, processed on the cloud. So uh, any type of learning that happens, that all happens on the cloud, even responses that you get from, uh, for example, from the likes of uh, Alexa for all the different elements of recognition, that is all done on the cloud. And you can really move uh, some of this uh, much closer to enable more more responsiveness. Um, Another element that, that is very interesting about edge computing is that if you do some of the processing locally that is currently done on the cloud, you can do better in terms of privacy. So while in some cases your performance uh, may not necessarily be better than cloud performance, you alleviate a lot of um, uh, concerns if you keep your raw data streams uh, local, if uh, no cloud entity receives full access to your raw data. 
I see. And what would be some things that would be hard to move to the devices right now, just because the devices themselves could have been made not for this in particular, so they don't have the hardware capabilities? Yeah, the, 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 that's a great question. So uh, device, local devices will always be less capable than the cloud. In the cloud, you talk about uh, a huge server blades, the opportunity to uh, use multiple cores for the different processing. You talk about uh, massive storage. So uh, while you can deploy local servers that could theoretically come closer to the capabilities, it's not realistic. So your gate ways and your small devices will always be limited and so so there there will always be elements of uh, processing that uh, should stay on the cloud and this is for example processing of uh, massive data sets global data sets uh, global uh, data global state that is collected from uh, hundreds and thousands of users you wouldn't want to move uh, that type of processing to the local device, you can keep processing that is relevant to you local, but it's not that you would ever load uh, other users' data to your uh, local conditions. Um, along to also, other things that, that really should stay on the cloud is uh, uh, items related to long-term processing and storage, for example, that uh, cloud as a backup, that uh, it, it's very natural for for that to be on the cloud. Cloud as uh, as a way of uh, keeping uh, essentially global state. We uh, we've been playing around with the idea of uh, let's say that we have a network of uh, drones, where we have uh, what Amazon is imagining about drone based uh, package delivery. So in this scenario, your global state of all the drones around the country, for example, that that would be global. The information about drones that are in a particular area that can be handled by a regional uh, edge server, for example. And then the information about the very, very local drones that are particular to your uh, specific building, for example, or a specific uh, small neighborhood that can be uh, held on a uh, very local node. So this is the kind of uh, hierarchical separation that is imagined with uh, edge and fog uh, computing. I see. And part of this motivation, is it because of the, that notion of data locality and latency benefits? Yeah, th that's exactly right. Yes. So we uh, there are inherent limits to latency as your signals have to travel farther and farther away. Uh, so there are bounds that just cannot be crossed uh, and you will always be faster with local nodes just from uh, from the physics of it. The data locality element is, uh, is the other one that uh, you... You will always essentially save um, costs, you will save network, you will always uh, benefit in one way or another if you manage to keep your data local. I see. Yes, also because of this importance of privacy in this space. Right, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly that. Part of your work involves evaluating edge computing. And for this, I saw that you created an edge computing test bed. Can you explain what this is? 
Yes, so we've created a fairly small uh, setup that allows us to test some of the ideas around uh, doing local processing and remote processing jointly for fairly complicated operations that are currently done on the cloud. So we've uh, picked an example of uh, machine learning. Uh, Specifically, we picked a regression, but it doesn't have to be a regression. Any type of a machine learning operation could, uh, could be done there. And we've um, implemented some ideas around the data locality that we do part of the machine learning training locally without moving the data to the cloud. And then some devices move some of the raw data to the cloud and then the partial local models get combined in a way that is, uh, in machine learning, they call it ensemble learning. So a combination of locally obtained models. And this is in contrast to what is currently done for training systems where all of the data from all the devices gets moved to one location and a machine learning algorithm iterates over it in one place. So... So we've uh, built a testbed that uh, allows us to play with these ideas. We have local nodes. Uh, we use Raspberry Pis for both uh, data collection and for local processing for this local uh, model computation. And on the cloud side, uh, currently we are using an AWS backend, uh, Lambda and DynamoDB for processing on that side. We collect uh, uh, basic information. Uh, we've essentially uh, instrumented our Raspberry Pis with uh, SenseHead boards that uh, collect different types of uh, uh, sensor information um, around uh, that they are observing, temperature, pressure, some other parameters. So some of the Raspberry Pis are sensor nodes that uh, simply collect this information, while others do this kind of local computing. And we've uh, instrumented the testbed to measure all the different parameters that are important to an edge computing system. The latency of the overall uh, processing, the quality of the results of the learning that we achieve, and also we've uh, implemented it to measure uh, costs and we use just uh, actual costs that uh, Amazon is charging us for uh, for the processing on Lambda. But we can also plug in a different backend and try other things uh, in terms of costs. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a system where you can really play with this uh, distributed learning uh, ideas, essentially. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the edge computing nodes are the Raspberry Pis? Uh, that's right, yes. And you're saying these are connected, this communicate to AWS? Uh, yes, uh, that that's right, yes. Several of them communicate to AWS and we use serverless processing on the AWS side. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned in this case, this testbed, the focus was a linear regression experiment. So itself, the nodes, what are they doing, the Raspberry Pis? Yeah, so they are doing. They're calculating essentially regression models locally, and uh, some of the, so, so some of them calculate uh, regression models locally, and some of them send their raw uh, information to the cloud, and those partial models and uh, the raw data get combined to create one global model. And you also mentioned AWS Lambda. For those that aren't familiar with this, can you explain what that consists of? 
Oh, yes. So cloud processing comes uh, in different flavors. Uh, for a while, uh, the cloud computing architectures uh, have standardized on uh, essentially providing uh, capabilities that are in ways similar to what you would have locally. A virtual machine that you can use like you would uh, be using your uh, local computer. Relatively recently, starting from about uh, 2013, uh, what what's called serverless architectures uh, have started to be explored. There, it's not that you rent a machine from AWS or a core, or rather there is a specific function that you write that AWS will run for you. So you do not have to create a server instance. You do not have to reserve a virtual machine. There's a function that will get instantiated on demand and will be um, uh, will be performing the action uh, that, that you'd like. So in AWS, the serverless functionality is called Lambda. Uh, other cloud providers offer it as well under different names. But um, it's, it's a very interesting idea that is kind of a win-win from the point of view of both uh, end users and cloud providers. The likes of AWS essentially use their spare capacities to provide this type of uh, on-demand functionality. Uh, so this allows them to use the types of resources that are traditionally underused for them. On the user side, using Lambda and other serverless functions allows you to, uh, in some cases, process your information much cheaper as you only pay for the server time that, that you use. You also don't have to worry about having your virtual machine up and running. That has advantages there as well. But uh, the downside is that uh, there are some limits that come with it. The, um, there is a startup time. Uh, there are some restrictions as to how you can write your functionality. Uh, but overall, what's very interesting about Lambda and other serverless functionality is that it has been uh, specifically uh, recommended for a lot of uh, IoT solutions, for a lot of Internet of Things jobs, as they have this type of a... Um, property that once data comes in, it needs to be processed, but you do not necessarily need to run your virtual machine at all at all times. Uh, so this is where, uh, uh, where that comes in. A long answer to a simple question. Yeah, that, that's a great answer. For the example we were talking about where we have the Raspberry Pis running linear regression models, and then they communicate through AWS Lambda, or they send information to AWS Lambda, what is the function in this case? What is the function in charge of? Uh, the function is in charge of uh, combining the partial models. So combining the partial models and uh, coming up with a global model that represents the summary of the learning of the local devices. I see. And in this particular experiment, I'm curious, in what ways does linear regression need to be adapted for edge computing what was the motivation of choosing this yes so so in uh, there are several benefits in uh, this case and also in key, in other cases where you can do local uh, learning uh, one of the benefits is uh, using you, you use less uh, bandwidth you tax the network uh, less as you 
go from uh, always sending all of your raw bitstreams to sending only partial, uh, um, essentially from to only sending features uh, for the nodes that did processing locally. So you can see uh, um, important savings in network utilization and important savings in cloud computing costs that are associated with it. Uh, so uh, one element is, is just this, is a better use of uh, network resources. Another benefit is uh, a data privacy that you do not send raw data to the cloud from all nodes. It is only some nodes that do that. And overall, you're, you are achieving these um, uh, savings and benefits at the fairly reasonable trade-offs in terms of the quality of the results. So you are gaining... Uh, uh, you you are reducing costs and you're gaining privacy at very reasonable reductions in uh, quality of learning, basically. Some of these Raspberry Pis are acting as sensors in that the environment they're at. Can you talk about that data sensing and collection and analytics that the local IoT devices are doing? Yeah, we used uh, the boards that are called uh, SenseHead boards. Uh, they have uh, several different sensors that collect environmental information, uh, temperature, pressure, uh, a couple of other things. So we use those uh, Raspberry Pis equipped with uh, SenseHeads as essentially emulators of uh, uh, other types of IoT nodes. Uh, you can think of them as uh, emulators of uh, Fitbit-like uh, functionality or connected light bulbs. And what is the linear regression machine learning trying to learn? We will be looking at correlations of the different environmental parameters, essentially. So we are trying to predict uh, one environmental parameter from a number of others. But really, uh, we're using uh, uh, here linear regression specifically in these sensors uh, as well as just uh, emulators of any other types of learning or environmental data collection that, that you would be doing. When I was reading about this experiment, I saw that a subset of these IoT devices are acting as computing gateways. Are these the ones that are doing the linear regression computations? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so the assumption is that, so for example, in a smart home, if you have your uh, Samsung gateway and you have small endpoint sensors, the smart gateway would be the one that does uh, local uh, learning, local processing. I see. And as part of some of the bottlenecks that edge computing resolves in existing machine learning, can you talk a little bit more about those? For learning specifically, the the two uh, big questions that this type of a, an approach addresses is uh, a privacy and network utilization. So you can imagine that if you do not transmit as much raw data to the cloud, you keep your network uh, free to do other things, which helps you essentially spend your network resources on providing more immediate services, on more uh, on 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 other things. So you lower the utilization of. Uh, uh, networks for these learning problems. And the other big uh, 
issue that this approach addresses is uh, a privacy not transmitting uh, private data to the cloud. Uh, this is, uh, however, only one use case for uh, for edge computing. A local training uh, uh, does not uh, have this element of benefiting uh, latency that other approaches to edge computing have. So this is one of the uh, one of the ways of using edge computing. From your experience. What have been the main technical challenges needed to enable edge? That is a great question. There are many different ones and they come in different flavors and uh, different researchers consider different uh, types of problems. I am very interested in this question of uh, adapting computing for edge systems. Traditionally, uh, uh, the, uh, the types of work types of work that look at, uh, for example, distributing computing for different elements of data locality, they do not consider this element of local node being less capable, for example, than a global node. Your algorithms that uh, have been designed for centralized operation and algorithms that have been designed for running in multiple cores of a server that where different cores have uh, roughly same capabilities, all of those algorithms have to be adapted for this type of edge computing settings. And the adaptations are non, uh, non-trivial, non-straightforward. So they require research, they require digging into the mechanics of uh, fairly complex iterative algorithms. So that, that's, that's one big challenge that uh, a lot of work um, needs to be done that is on the algorithmic level for this. There are, there are lots, also a lot of challenges on the software level in the sense that uh, we, are, we are used to having, uh, even with serverless computing, for example, we are used to having the cloud instantiate different things for us on demand. But how to achieve this in local devices, uh, it, it, there, there are interesting challenges there and important problems uh, to be solved. Which specific uh, functionality should you have on any specific local node? How to make sure that that is available for the users? How to make sure that the uh, handoff is handled right between different uh, local nodes. Uh, All of uh, fairly traditional questions in uh, resource instantiation, they all uh, uh, have uh, important considerations that need to be solved for age uh, specifically. For the first one that you mentioned about adapting computing for edge systems, are these mostly driven by the hardware limitations of the edge nodes? Yes, hardware limitations on one side, uh, desire to sa- save energy. Uh, also, the element of possible interrupted connectivity between the local devices and the cloud, uh, those all uh, come into play. Can you talk a little bit more about the approach to start coming up with an adaptation? Do you begin by looking at the hardware or the algorithm itself? Just a quick overview of what that process looks like. Oh, that, that, that is an interesting question. I think where people come up uh, with this is uh, 
I think that depends on one's background. Uh, you can start by looking at uh, the assumptions that are made in the existing all games and seeing what needs to be adapted for limited resources on the edge. You can also look at this concept of uh, what I need to do if I want to keep my data local. Let's say that we have algorithms that demand the data to be in one place. Uh, you can start uh, thinking about what, how you would need to change them if you wanted to uh, not move the data. Those are a couple of directions that, that you could take. I want to talk now a little bit more about the architecture for edge computing. When I was researching for this, I saw one term that is used is that the architecture is horizontal. Can you explain what this means? So basically, uh, there are uh, uh, horizontal here in this con in this context uh, means a solution that serves uh, multiple different verticals. So a solution that is not specifically tailored to, for example, uh, uh, smart factories, but a solution much like the current cloud computing systems that different users can adapt to the different needs. Another area that I've seen you explore in terms of architecture is this notion of the fundamental pillars of the edge. One of them is security and scalability. Can you explain this a little bit more? Yes. Yeah, so security is, of course, a huge concern in the Internet of Things. Uh, it is arguably uh, one of the reasons uh, why... Uh, one of the limiters to the deployments of the Internet of Things. So security is, is of course, a huge concern as you have the devices that are very close to you, that have your data, that interact with you very personally, that interact with your household very personally. So security and privacy in the Internet of Things is a concern always, and one of the pillars emphasizes that. In terms of age computing, there is, a diff there is an added element to that in that uh, in terms of security, one of the benefits of a data center architecture is that all the different computing nodes are essentially under lock and key. They're all in one place and you have physical security of those different computing nodes. But edge computing, um, a couple of assumptions change. Your processing node, your computing node is no longer physically secure. So you, you can have a user alter what happens in it and uh, affect the processing in ways that you would not have in the data center. So there is an elevated security risk uh, from that point of view. On the other hand, if you manage to secure local devices, then you can do better in terms of uh, providing privacy for the users as it, uh, if you keep the, your very sensitive, very local data to your local node, that feels much better than sending it to the cloud. But you do need to make sure that security is addressed for these types of local conditions. So this is where security comes into play as a very important element of IoT and uh, edge computing systems specifically. In terms of scalability, this is a con uh, concern that is uh, common to all uh, distributed system architectures that you need to make sure that the solutions you design are able to support uh, 
thousands, millions, and billions of uh, nodes. And uh, whatever solutions that you come up with uh, need to uh, need to scale. Going back to security, like you said, one of this is because of the notion of the data. By this, what I'm imagining, because it's what I talked about in the IoT episode, and I've seen it on the news, is these teddy bears or toys that are just inside a house. And yes, yeah. So, so the main security concern there is also what data is this bear gathering? Is that correct? So researchers tend to distinguish between security and privacy, uh, while uh, sometimes those are combined together. Oh, right. So in terms of da- data that is gathered, uh, that's typically goes under, uh, that's typically uh, referred to as privacy. Uh, security concerns would be more along the lines of uh, inserting viruses into the system or corrupting uh, corrupting other users' data using the information that you gather locally, or uh, hurting. Oh my God, I don't want to say it, but uh, using the teddy bear not just to collect the information but to hurt oh, no. people around it. I see what you're saying. <laughs> They get control of the teddy bear, and then the, the teddy bear can do something else, I see. For, uh, for, for example, that uh, a teddy bear, uh, I think, is imagined more as a passive device. But uh, uh, so, for example, if you have uh, your local video cameras that are controlled uh, via internet, you could theoretically uh, disconnect the camera or garble it if you want to uh, break into a house. Uh, so that that starts to go into these uh, personal uh, personal security uh, and not not only cybersecurity, but also personal security elements. The other part that you mentioned under security was that the device is not physically secure. It was not very clear to me if by this you mean like somebody can grab that teddy bear, just open it and the data is there in the teddy bear. Is that what you meant? In the world of, uh, of security, one of the core premises of it is that if you have device in your physical possession, you can you have access to uh, uh, pretty much everything. So you, you can do everything with the device if you have it physically. So in, in your traditional cloud computing systems, your uh, multiple users are sharing a server, for example, but none of them have that server physically. So all of that, uh, the physical security of the server is handled by the third party who we all trust, and that is uh, that is under a lock and key. In edge computing systems, your your processing device is uh, local. So if you want to use that device for uh, processing. Uh, elements of uh, other users' data, or if you want to use that local device for any types of uh, processing that interacts with the cloud, you have to pay additional attention to how you secure those interactions as you may assume that a malicious user could compromise this node and uh, do damage to the node as well as to the other computing functions if the user can access them uh, just by having physical control of the node. In terms of scalability, what are the current challenges that are being explored by people working on edge computing? Uh, so I I don't necessarily want to answer this one as this isn't my specialty. I see. Uh, 
And your specialty or one of your main focuses is this part of adapting the computing for the edge, right? Yeah, pre- yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, Ad- adapting computing the different the um, uh, responsive elements as well as uh, training types of uh, elements. Yeah, I see. One of the other pillars of the edge is openness. Can you explain what this means? So in this work, we are imagining having an architecture where all of the different components are available to to other people. So the idea of an open structure as opposed to a proprietary solution that has uh, a black box elements that others uh, cannot uh, work with. How is this similar to autonomy, which is the other pillar of the edge? Autonomy is a very interesting question for edge systems. Um, autonomy implies ability to make decisions without the cloud. Currently, uh, things like uh, smart assistants, for example, they really do need the cloud to operate in uh, meaningful ways in many cases. Autonomy is the element that allows us to actual decision-making and responsiveness locally without having cloud as a constant uh, backend. So this requires some elements of uh, computing restructuring that uh, are non-trivial. What are some examples of decisions that could be made by the edge? Uh, the types of uh, inference that are currently running on uh, on the cloud computing systems, uh, so for example, image recognition, voice recognition, uh, all of these um, all of these types of things, you can do that uh, locally. There are ways of adapting models to restricted local conditions. There are elements of uh, of uh, suggestions as uh, what is currently fully tra- fully completely all nearly always done on the cloud. So, for example, suggestions of the next uh, soundtrack for you to listen to that can be done locally. There is very interesting work that uh, talks about this in uh, personal personalizing those experiences as opposed to having them done on the cloud. And it it really is becoming very very powerful these days. The things that you can do with local devices. Any types of support that you would need for video processing, uh, identifying if there are important objects in the video, identifying if uh, the video changes in important ways between different uh, elements, all, all of that can be done locally. Uh, support for uh, support for drones, support for autonomous cars. Uh, there's a lot of uh, functionality there that can be fully moved uh, to to the edge. And the main component for this, you said, is personalization of experiences. Uh, It's one of the components. Yes, you can uh, value... Personalization could be one of the values. Uh, the other values are the slated redu- reduced latency and uh, improved uh, quality be- because of re- the richness of uh, local information. The other pillar that I want to talk about is agility. Can you give an example of what this means? Currently, the way that cloud computing this is this is this is a very good question. This is a very interesting element of uh, edge computing. Currently, a lot of the work that is done with the cloud has this flavor of uh, collecting uh, vast quantities of data, processing it, uh, say, overnight, and coming up with an update that is this once in a while. So uh, your computing systems updates, your learning updates, all 
all happen on these uh, very actually long time scales. Agility means that we can go from collecting data to making a decision on that data to acting on that data at a much different scale. So rather than uh, waiting for days and weeks and months to collect the data and process it, we can get to the point where we are we are collecting data, we are incorporating it into our existing knowledge, and we are acting on it in the loop very quickly. So this is a, a different timescale of operations and a very different level of experience than what we currently have with the existing systems. In a sense, agility is leveraging the autonomy pillar because it's like you said it's going from collecting the data because devices can have sensors and then making the decision itself right that, that's exactly right yeah that's that's a that's a great way of putting it the last pillar that i want to talk about is hierarchy what for example what does the edge deployment look like yeah so one thing to note about a lot of existing uh, distributed systems architectures is that they are flat. So your cloud platforms are flat. They are a collection of essentially equal service, servers with equal cores. And the traditional peer-to-peer systems like Napster, for example, back in the days, they're also flat. They're a collection of... Um, peers that are equal in capabilities. With edge systems, you have different levels of nodes that are very different in capabilities. You have the cloud that is massive, that is far away, that has a lot of computing process, computing capabilities, lots of storage, but, but it's far. You have regional nodes that are very powerful as well. They are a little closer. They are smaller than your cloud nodes. They may offer different trade-offs in terms of uh, latency, in terms of uh, quality of uh, processing. You go down and down that hierarchy level until you get to local gateways that could be mobile like your phone, that could be very much reduced in their processing capabilities, that could have fractions of the cores of cloud nodes. And then you get down to the endpoint devices that are trying to save energy, that have very restricted CPUs, that may uh, may want to sleep for long periods of time to save their energy. This is uh, the, the hierarchical structure is essential to to these systems. It's there. And you really need to figure out solutions that take advantage of what those different layers have to offer. You So you really need to be designing solutions that are hierarchical in this way. And um, it's, it, it, it is a bit silly that it is non-trivial to do that, but uh, just traditionally, computer computer systems uh, have not been designed like this. So there are a lot of very interesting challenges in figuring out how to take advantage of this type of hierarchy and heterogeneity of the different nodes in the hierarchy. One example that I saw in, in a talk that you gave regarding these pillars of the edge and particularly hierarchy is the smart city example. Can you describe the smart city? Yes. So smart cities are a uh, great uh, applica- great uh, example of this vision for going from a data center-based computing to computing around you. In a traditional system right now, we have uh, all the nodes in a smart city. They collect their data from, from their sensors and they send it to 
a cloud data center that can be hundreds or thousands of miles away. So all the signals travel there. In the edge, edge computing for computing smart city, we will have nodes that are processing the data much closer to the users. So you would have a computing node in your house. You would have a computing node in your building, on your street corner, in the zip code, in the neighborhood, a regional node, and a global cloud node. And all those different nodes can be responsible for different parts of processing and working together, get the right types of latencies, the right types of reliabilities and the more interactive, more advanced experience that you need in a smart city with smart transportation in uh, the adaptive behavior that that requires. One thing you just described is you can have a computing node in your house and then in this hierarchy, next comes the regional node. What would be an example of something that a regional node can be in charge of? So I think the, the hierarchies uh, could have uh, multiple levels between the house and the regional node. Uh, currently, for example, companies like Comcast, they already have a box in your household and they already have elements of uh, architecture that are not so much regional as neighborhood based. So you, and that's uh, one of the elements that uh, that could be uh, envisioned. Your, your nodes that are the next level from your house household nodes, nodes that are responsible for different areas like a region or a zip code or a neighborhood, they could be responsible for decision making and analytics and uh, tracking that is responsible, uh, that is specific to that region. So for example, data collection that aggregates the tastes of the different household in your, households in your zip code, the information about um, channel conditions and uh, local mappings that is uh, particular to a uh, specific area that the node is responsible for. Information about the the upcoming specific uh, specific upcoming changes to that specific neighborhood for example if you have a stadium in your in your region in your neighborhood and the stadium uh, is expected to have a game then there could be certain adaptations to communications and to other parameters that the node could be responsible for making so this is uh, really this level of um, hierarchical responsibilities if you would or also for electricity is that uh, yeah you, electricity communications computing uh, all of uh, those uh, come into play yes uh, mapping for smart uh, for smart infrastructures what do you mean about mapping so currently for uh, for things like uh, drones uh, augmented and virtual reality uh, and uh, autonomous driving the idea of um, knowing exactly uh, uh, local features of the environment, that, that's very important. So for one way that you can imagine using local nodes is to collect uh, all those different types of mappings at a very high fidelity levels, much higher than what you can get with current uh, global solutions. And the mappings could be physical mappings of where everything is, or they could be mappings of uh, uh, wireless channel qualities or other parameters. And then the global one could be just aggregating all this data from the regional ones and providing some other type of analytics, right? 
Right. So, right. So, providing different levels of fidelity at different levels, uh, using the capabilities of local nodes to track local features that may not be uh, important on the global level, but that are important locally and that help local nodes make uh, the best decisions. One term that you mentioned when you were describing the smart city and the computing nodes in a house was you could have edge computing or fog. What is the difference between edge and fog? Currently, the terminology in the space of edge and fog computing hasn't really been fully standardized, and oftentimes the terms are used interchangeably. They have some uh, distinctions in certain contexts. Uh, Usually, fog uh, relates to the idea of spanning the range from devices to the cloud, so having all the different nodes uh, work together at the different levels of the hierarchy. While edge in certain contexts refers to taking the functionality and moving it closer to the users. I tend to use the terms interchangeably, although uh, when I think of fog, I think more naturally about different devices working collaboratively. And when I talk about edge, I think more naturally about creating the best possible uh, local uh, behavior. And there's this consortium called Open Fog. Can you explain what it is? OpenFog is one of the organizations that drives forward this vision of fog computing, of the different devices at the different hierarchies levels working together. OpenFog uh, was founded in 2016 and includes a range of organizations from around the world that uh, want to develop this type of open, hierarchical, agile, secure architecture for everyone to use. It has uh, a number of universities, a number of uh, leading companies in hardware space as well as in computing space. And the goal is to uh, drive forward this vision, essentially. Why is it important that we have a consortium like OpenFog working in this space? It's in the space of communications and in new architectures in general, uh, you you always running the risk of everyone going down their own route and creating solutions that are incompatible and that do not follow the same principles. In IoT, arguably one of the big issues at this time is uh, fragmentation, that we have so many protocols and so many alternatives and so many uh, different uh, approaches that uh, it's very difficult to move forward uh, with any one deployment. So uh, OpenFog, like other uh, consortia in the space of communication, space of communication and networking, targets creating a unified view and a unified architecture to help everyone move uh, forward in the same direction. So otherwise, uh, it's very easy to come up with uh, siloed uh, solutions that uh, uh, leave uh, startups and uh, everybody who develops products in the, with this uncertainty of uh, which way should I be following? What what exactly should I be doing? So the goal of the consortium is to get everyone uh, on, on the same page about this, basically. Is this also about establishing standards and guidelines, for example, in terms of security and privacy? Uh, right. The, and part, part of this establishing a common vision is creating shared standards. So we're actually working on uh, on an IEEE standard uh, that uh, describes the open fog architecture. I see. And you mentioned 
members of this are both universities and companies, right? Yeah, so OpenFog has uh, uh, over 50 members, I believe, at this time all over the world. Uh, large companies like Intel, Cisco, Microsoft, uh, a number of telecom giants and others, as well as a number of startups and a number of universities that are taking more of a research uh, look on uh, fog-related elements. And the universities in OpenFog include uh, Colorado Boulder, Princeton, Arizona State, uh, Shanghai Tech, and uh, uh, quite a few others. Are we still in the early days of standardizing this edge computing? I believe so, yes. I believe we are in the early stages of this field in general, and we are definitely early in the standardization space. Uh, security is one big element that uh, that needs to be addressed. And in general, it's, a, it's an actively developing field. So I think we are only scratching the surface on a lot of questions uh, in it. One of the other things that you wanted to talk about in this show was the vision for the future of edge and in particular i'd like to ask you in terms of your area of focus which is adapting computing for the edge what do you see coming next in the in the next few years so we so we started touching on on some of this i think i am uh a huge uh, enthusiast about the area that is uh, called embedded AI or intelligence on the edge or essentially using learning that is currently traditionally used on these longer timescales and on the cloud on local nodes. And the levels of capabilities that you can be reaching there are absolutely unbelievable. So we mentioned personalization, for example. Currently, machine learning is... uh, There's one model that is common to everybody that responds to your conditions. There are some advances that are showing that you can have fully local, local learning. You can have training that is particular to you. With reinforcement learning, you can achieve fantastic heights these days. So the the ability of making truly intelligent decisions, truly intelligent suggestions, in at a short uh, time frame, enabled by uh, fog or edge, that that I believe will be absolutely transformational. We are only at the very beginning of this very exciting field, so we will have the absolutely next level of uh, intelligence of a lot of uh, different experiences. Does this also have the potential to be used? For example, people that live in places that don't have the best network resources. So sometimes they get Wi-Fi, but could they potentially just be running this intelligence offline, for example, to identify crops and those kind of models? Yeah, right, right. So you you can have uh, the type of behavior that currently requires the cloud, uh, you you can do locally and or you can do it with... Uh, with limited uh, connectivity, uh, you you can have a transition between uh, settings with good connectivity and uh, a poor connectivity that is seamless that responds to the different conditions. So that 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 is uh, it's very exciting in in that regard. Yes. Well, Maria, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you about edge computing. Oh, thank you, Diana. Pleasure to talk to you. Thanks to Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. 
go to teamblind.com. That's teamblind.com to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. Check it out.